You're listening to the profession's greatest physical therapist, Their Past, Our Future podcast. We're your hosts, Ethan Mitchell and Joey Stewart, first-year physical therapy students at Angelo State University. This is the podcast that is made to inspire pre-PTs, SPTs, and current physical therapists to become the greatest versions of themselves, physically, mentally, academically, financially, and spiritually. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Their Past, Our Future. We are thrilled to have Lindsay Duran on today. She is a pelvic floor physical therapist, and she was actually the APTA Student Board Assembly of Directors, Director of Communications. And so she's awesome at connecting students and is awesome communicator, and we're really glad to have her on today. How are you doing today, Lindsay? I'm good. Thank you all for having me today. This is very exciting just to be able to, um, you know, talk about physical therapy and kind of what we can do better as physical therapists in the future. Absolutely. And we're excited to definitely be talking about that today. Um, So tell me, uh, just break down for us your uh, physical therapy journey. What brought you to where you are today? Sure. So for everyone joining in, my name is Dr. Lindsay Duran Masumi. I just got married a couple months ago. And so I haven't officially made the name change yet on on all social, but that is my new name. Um, But I have been a physical therapist since May of 2021. That's when I graduated. So kind of a new PT. I first decided I wanted to be a physical therapist. I think when I was like 13 or 14, I was a a competitive gymnast and I had quite a few ankle injuries that led to lots and lots of PT. Um, and I thought it was pretty cool what physical therapists did and just like, I don't know, just kind of the hands-on aspect. They were very active. They were helping me get back to gymnastics. I thought that was really cool, but it just felt like there was something missing. Like there was almost a disconnect. Um, me trying to explain to a PT, like a round off back handspring back layout, or, you know, like a full twist or just like the level I needed to be at as a competitive gymnast, I felt like they didn't really understand. And so that was a lot of motivation for me to kind of enter into this field and be able to work with, um, you know, similar athletes who weren't maybe getting that full care that they needed. They were able to get, you know, range of motion back and strength, but getting back to those higher level skills, there seemed to be a big disconnect. And so in my, you know, 14 year old head, 13 year old head, I was like, well, I could be this person that like works with gymnasts and, and gets them back. And that would be something really cool. Uh, so I kind of stuck with that for a, a long, long time. And I really liked working with athletes. I was a strength and conditioning coach for high school athletes, um, when I was going through undergrad. And so that was really cool. And then I got involved in some research on weirdly enough, high heel shoes, Um, And that totally introduced me to the world of pelvic health PT and the fact that physical therapists work with pregnant individuals um, and address the pelvic floor. And the more and more and more I learned about that, the more I realized that that was my true calling. So I do still work with higher level athletes um, and getting them back to CrossFit or running, um, but it's just more from the pelvic health perspective as opposed to just like the orthopedic perspective. So it's been kind of an interesting journey over the past, I guess, 12, 13 years or so to get me to where I am. Um, but yeah, that is kind of a little bit about my story. So I've been practicing for, I guess, about eight months now, and I love it. It's like, it's everything that I, I had hoped it would be. 
Um, so I'm very fortunate to now be practicing as a pelvic and orthopedic physical therapist. Wow. So it really seems at a young age, you knew you wanted to do physical therapy and help high level athletes, which I think is pretty crazy to you know, have those awesome ideas at age 13 and 14. I'm curious who influenced you to allow you to believe that you could do something like that, something great like that? Yeah, that's a, I guess that's a good question. Um, probably my family more than anything, they were very supportive from the time I said I wanted to be a PT. Um, and my older sister, especially, she was like, okay, well, like if you want to do physical therapy, then like this is what you need to really get into in high school. Here's where you need to start. And like, she's not a PT at all. She just was like, let me offer uh, some help and guidance. And so she really kind of set it up for me in terms of like, well, here's degrees you could go into. Here's things you could major in that would set you up to go into PT school. Here's the best PT schools in the program. I mean, um, so starting at like 16, 17, my family was really helping me just lay out that path to become a physical therapist, which none of them had ever done before. So it was kind of cool um, to have that support there. I know not everyone does. So they were just willing to help me in any way, shape or form. And I guess looking back on it, uh, like growing up, I was really into, um, it sounds so weird saying it out loud, like giving people massages. Like I would charge people to do like shoulder massages or foot massages and stuff. And like, that is how I saved up money when I was like 10 years old. And so I think my parents were like, this seems like a good good idea for her. Uh, wow. What a young entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Gotcha. So, okay. You touched on a little bit about what got you into pelvic health PT, but what I just, your, what would be your definition of pelvic health PT? Great question. Yeah. Cause I think there's definitely some confusion there. So um, pelvic health PT is going to involve anything related to bowel bladder or sexual function or anything kind of in the pelvic region. Um, so as a pelvic floor PT, I am specially trained to treat both internally and externally the pelvic floor muscles. And so I feel like that's kind of what sets me apart from other just, you know, traditional physical therapists. I do have that specialized training in assessing and treating pelvic floor. Um, and so, yeah, it's really about what you can do for bowel, bladder, sexual health, anything involving the pelvic floor muscles. And like I said, anything kind of surrounding that area. So I see a lot of people who have pelvic floor problems um, and maybe the driver isn't the pelvic floor. Maybe it's the hip or the low back or the knee. Um, sometimes even all the way down to the foot is kind of driving problems in the pelvic floor. So um, you kind of have to look also outside of the pelvic floor as a pelvic in pelvic health PT um, because maybe the symptoms are appearing in the pelvic floor, but that's not what's causing the problems. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely kind of like a good summation too of, you know, everything we learned in PT school, just don't look at the problem itself. Look at other things that could cause the problem. Um, and uh, I, I remember reading earlier, uh, your the clinic you work at is kind of a mix of pelvic floor and ortho, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, so I treat both orthopedics and pelvic health and we've really developed this um, this kind of amazing philosophy that the two really work together. You can't treat the pelvic floor without looking at the orthopedic component and you can't treat the ortho component oftentimes without looking at um, the pelvic health component too. And so, yeah, I treat both of them. A lot of my patients do complain of both orthopedic problems and pelvic health. 
Um, some of them are strictly orthopedic in a sense we don't look at their pelvic floor, but never, I would say never are they just pelvic health. Mm. Um, there's usually some sort of orthopedic component going on there too. That yeah, we're addressing. That's really interesting too, especially like what really caught my eye about that was when you first said like that, you know, it could be anything from like the foot to the hip to the knee to the low back. So that's definitely an interesting philosophy and a great one that I'm glad y'all have touched on how everything's very interconnected. And I hope that some, we kind of build on in the future, just as far as like new practices or new philosophies, whatever it may be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. As physical therapists, I think we do um, a really good job at narrowing in on where the symptoms are. Uh, but we don't really do a good job about identifying what is causing those symptoms. Like what is going on outside of that area? You know, like just, just cause you have elbow pain doesn't mean there's something like the elbow is the culprit. You know what I mean? Like there, there could be something going on at the shoulder or the wrist that now the elbow is taking the force. Same with like the knee. Um, so I think in physical therapy, we've got, we've got some work to do in terms of, like you said, kind of seeing outside of where, where the symptoms are being described. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, what are some of the most common misconceptions you get about pelvic health PT, whether it be patients or other physical therapists? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Uh, I think the big one that I see is that like, you need to be doing Kegels. Um, I've seen it so many, so many places. In fact, I was preparing for a presentation a couple weeks ago and I went on to ACSM's website on like pregnancy recommendations. And they were saying like, you should be doing Kegels every day. I'm like, no, stop, please stop. Um, Oh man. Right. So there's a lot of misconceptions that like Kegels are the answer to all of your pelvic floor problems. And like, just do, you know, 10 Kegels a day. Um, first of all, if you needed Kegels, that's like way underdosing. Like you're probably not going to get anywhere with 10 muscle contractions a day. Anyway, that's besides the point. Um, so that's a really mis- or a really common misconception is that people think they need to do a lot of Kegels to have good pelvic floor health. The other one I see is that people don't think they need PT uh, during pregnancy or postpartum. Um, that's like a pretty big misconception. Like doctors will say, okay, you've like hit your six weeks. You're like good to go. Um, clear to do everything. And that is a really big misconception. Very rarely, I would say, are you a hundred percent at six weeks postpartum? Uh, especially if you've had a C-section, you are, there's no way you're a hundred percent. They just like, they just did major abdominal surgery. Um, and so people really do think that they can return to all activities just like at full force at six weeks. And a lot of them haven't been doing anything throughout their pregnancy. So really it's like a year that they haven't done anything. And then they kind of hop back into these things. Um, so the six week postpartum rule is basically just based off of natural tissue healing. Um, there's no evidence behind it for like muscle function or pelvic floor support. Um, someone was just like, man, that's how long it takes for tissue to heal. So like, that's probably good. Um, so another misconception there. And I think another one that I see is people think their pelvic floor symptoms will just kind of resolve on their own. Um, pain with intercourse. That's a really big one that I see where people are like, Oh, well, I just keep like pushing through thinking it'll get better. And, um, I mean, maybe in like some orthopedic conditions, maybe that's the case, but like very rarely do I see in pelvic floor conditions. If you just ignore the problem or don't address it, that it gets better on its own. Often it gets worse. Mm. Um, so 
If you are dealing with pelvic floor symptoms, definitely reach out to a trained professional. Um, again, it's probably not going get to get better on its own. Yeah, those are huge points. And another one that I hear a lot that I think I originally learned from following your page is, uh, and even my classmates, they are very open about, you know, everything. But they say like, um, you know, peeing with, or like accidentally like peeing during exercise mm. or running, like some people think that's normal. And I don't know a whole lot about the topic, but is that something that you could cover? Because I think it's a pretty common thing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's another one. I don't know how I missed that one. Um, yeah, there are so many like misconceptions that just peeing yourself after you've had a baby is normal or expected, especially if you've had multiple babies. Um, and that is definitely not the case. It is 100% treatable, whether you've had a baby or not. Um, but yeah, a lot of people just like, it's been so normalized in our society that you just pee yourself with exercise and women kind of almost like make a joke out of it. Like, Oh, like, don't make me laugh or don't, you know, this is your fault. Like telling their kids like, Oh, this is your fault that I like can't jump on the trampoline anymore. Um, things like that. And yeah, we've just really normalized it as a society for women specifically. It's really interesting. Like my, um, women that have leakage kind of come in and act like it's not necessarily a big deal. Hmm. Um, or, you know, it would be nice if it like got fixed, but they're not like hoping for a miracle. Uh, but the men who I see who have incontinence or leakage are like, I need to fix this like right now. And I'm not okay with it. So there's very much like I think the so like the society expectation or like the social pressure of incontinence, like women are way more okay with it. Hmm. Um, and men are not. And like I said, it's 100% treatable in both. Hmm. And so, yeah, definitely a misconception that you just like are going to have leakage after you've had a baby, or even if you haven't had a baby and that there's nothing you can do about it. There is lots and lots and lots, and it doesn't have to be surgery. Yeah. And I think guys, like I've never really heard a guy talk about it. I don't know how, prevalent is in men but maybe that's a reason a social type issue that affects that but that's really mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. yeah absolutely I will say I see incontinence in men more like post-prostate cancer prostate surgery that's usually where I see incontinence um or potentially if they have like a really overactive bladder that's causing like a lot of spasms of the bladder um and then they lose urine there, that's possible too. But most, it's not as common in men, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's probably the number one, like my men who come into my clinic that I treat, that's like their number one complaint usually hmm. is incontinence or um, like worry that they're going to leak. Okay. So I'm also interested. I know we can't do a whole PT eval evaluation and treatment on a podcast, but for people who may be experiencing those problems for, I guess, women or, you know, it's more common for them. Um, what are some maybe simple things that they could do to work on that, um, or help yeah. themselves with that? Right. Um, so of course the PT answer is always going to be, it depends. Okay. Um, but there, so I guess let's cover why there could be leakage occurring in the first place. Okay. Um, and then that usually helps people to come up with what they can do. So leakage in the pelvic floor can occur for usually one of three reasons, if not a combination. So one, it could be weakness in the pelvic floor muscles. And so, um, you know, just like any other load in the body, if the pelvic floor muscles are not strong enough to uphold that load, 
um, then you can have leakage. So that load could be a cough, a sneeze, a laugh, a jump, um, just running to having that constant impact from, you know, the ground reaction forces of running, that would be an impact on your pelvic floor. So if you have weak pelvic floor muscles, that could be a reason that you're experiencing leakage. You could also have really tight and dysfunctional pelvic floor muscles. So I always like to compare it to my bicep example. Um, if your bicep is stuck kind of in like a bent position like this, and you now need your pelvic floor to respond appropriately, or you need your bicep to, you know, do a bicep curl, it's only going to have this super limited range of motion here, as opposed to if your arm is fully straight and then you do your bicep curl, that's going to be a much more um, powerful contraction. Mm. So what I see probably more common is um, people have kind of this overactive or tight pelvic floor and it then becomes dysfunctional. So when they need it to contract, it doesn't have a lot of room to do that. Um, and then the other reason I see leakage is a pressure management issue. So your pelvic floor works with your abs, with your back extensors, with your diaphragm as a system. And it tries to maintain all of that pressure in your abdominal cavity. Now, if you have more pressure coming from the top versus on the bottom, you're going to have leakage. Or if you have more pressure going out towards the front than out the back, then oftentimes that causes leakage too. Um, so for instance, people who are really like upper ab heavy, like they, you know, they've got this rock and six pack, um, but their pelvic floor doesn't do anything or, you know, their lower abs are really not working in practice, then that will cause a lot of downward pressure on the pelvic floor um, and then lead to leakage. And so those are the three things that I usually see when it comes to leakage, weakness, tightness, or um, like a pressure impairment. Mm. So again, if we take it to just like the most common that I see, um, which would be kind of this tightness in the pelvic floor, um, Again, when are they having leakage? Let's say it's during exercise. Um, I can even kind of tie it back to a patient I had yesterday. She's having leakage with like double unders, um, heavy squats, hip thrusts, like, like heavy lifting is where she's kind of having a lot of pressure or a lot of um, leakage. And so when we look at her breathing mechanics or just how she's exercising, she is holding her abs super, super tight and like squeezing everything with all of her might. Okay. So her pelvic floor is not moving at all. It's just like staying tight, like basically balling your, your hand into a fist. And again, it's not functional anymore. So one strategy we tried with her um, was, can you actually relax your belly, really breathe into these muscles as you're jump roping and see if that makes a difference. And all of a sudden she was able to do twice as many double unders without leakage. Um, so just kind of getting movement in that pelvic floor and in that abdomen um, so that those muscles function better, that was a strategy that worked for her. Additionally, if we can kind of redistribute that pressure or that like impact, again, if we're talking exercise, like double unders, um, positioning and posture is going to be huge just on the way that the muscles can work. And that applies, of course, to anything that you're doing. Like if you change, you know, the position of your hips in a squat, you're going to work slightly different muscles, right? So same thing with um, jumping rope. If we kind of get a little bit more of a forward trunk lean, kind of drop the rib cage down, more of our impact is going to go towards the glute, like towards the posterior wall of the pelvic floor, mm -hmm. which is actually much stronger than the anterior wall or that front wall where the bladder sits. Um, and so that was another strategy we utilized for her, just kind of leaning forward at the hips, dropping that rib cage um, and trying to land softly 
again, she was able to do significantly more double unders without leakage. So those are like a couple quick strategies that you can try. Okay. That's really perfect. And just a quick, another question on that. Is that similar with running? You know, a slight forward lean is helpful to Correct. help engage the glutes a little bit more. It's yes. another strategy for running. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So in my runners that have leakage, I typically see this like very upright, like they almost lead with their chest when they run. Um, sometimes they're really heavy. They'll take these like big strides when they run. Um, and again, that's just like, you're setting yourself up for all of this impact at the forward part of your pelvic floor, right where that bladder sits. Um, and you're just putting pressure over and over again on that bladder. So yes, that forward trunk lean is like one of my first strategies with my runners. Let's get you leading with your head, get better glute activation, keep that belly relaxed and try to actually decrease your, um, step width. Make your steps faster and quieter. And same thing, they can run usually usually a lot further in just a couple seconds there um, with those minor corrections. Yeah. Changing cadence is a really big topic in running, but that could be for <laughs> another show. <laughs> correct, correct. Yeah. All right. Um, next, I want to ask you about something we were kind of talking about before we started the interview. And, um, this was about your virtual consulting. Um, yes. you mind just having a little bit more into that for me? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my husband and I own a company called Virtual Physio. And through that, we offer both online health coaching as well as virtual consults. And so my virtual consults are more focused on the pelvic health aspect and just kind of educating people on the pelvic floor, like what is normal function, um, what are some strategies that we can try kind of similar to what we're just talking about here with the jump roping? Um, what are things that you can try to manage your pelvic floor symptoms? And so um, this is a good way just for me to access people kind of around the country in a sense. Um, we're just offering education and, um, you know, talking strategies in the pelvic health world. And so it's allowed me to just kind of meet lots and lots and lots of different people and expand my reach much further than my local community. Um, and social media has been a big part of that as well. Just being on social media, having an Instagram account, um, being on Twitter, you know, all of those things has just helped to really connect with a lot of people all over the world. And people are now reaching out like, hey, I think I need pelvic floor PT or, you know, I'd love to learn more about this. I don't want this to consume my life or take over my life. Um, and that's a really cool thing to see. So I just believe there's so much more we can do as physical therapists as opposed to just like offering, you know, hands-on manual skills or running people through an exercise like our brains and what we know is so beneficial. Um, so just finding ways to, you know, take those ne next steps into what the future of PT is. And I really think it's going to look like a lot more um, virtual work and education. Yeah, definitely. And I've, I've noticed this become like a bigger component of PT as of late, just breaking things down for our patients to understand and um, empowering them in a way. Um, so on that note, what changes would you like to see in the coming years as far as whether it be just virtual PT in general or just PT overall? What would you like to see? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a lot I'd love to see, a lot I'd like to not see anymore. Um, you know, I'd like to not see as much ultrasound or e mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, things like that, that we're kind of seeing at the research, it's like just as good as a placebo treatment. Um, so I'd like to not see those things. I'd like to see a lot more education, a lot more patient empowerment, um, a lot more like talking with patients and working with patients on, okay, like what are you doing in your day to day that's contributing to your issue? And again, this isn't necessarily just specific to pelvic health. This is specific to like all aspects of PT, um, and there's a really great paper that came out from the lab I used to work in at WashU on um, motor skill training and addressing low back pain through that versus like traditional strengthening and flexibility. And if you really look at people and again, educate them on, okay, you know, these movements, and if you, if you're like doing things this way, this is contributing to your pain. How can we move different? If you can educate them on that and again, empower them to kind of come to the conclusion on their own, which is um, a lot easier said than done. But if you kind of master this, it's really, really cool to see and practice because people will come back and say like, oh, I went home and I realized I was doing, you know, I was twisting and bending weird when I was going into the dishwasher and that was really aggravating my pain. So I just... I changed my setup and, you know, I focused on keeping my back a little bit straighter and now I don't have pain anymore. Um, when people like come to those conclusions on their own, because again, the education and the empowerment that you've provided them, they get better quicker and they stay better for longer. At least that's what the research is saying at this point. So I'd like to see a lot more of that where we're just working with our patients, really collaborating with patients on, again, what are you doing in your day to day? that's contributing to your pain and providing them as much education as possible. Of course, insurance doesn't reimburse for education solely. Um, so you have to kind of offer it either like while you're doing your, your, you know, your therapeutic exercise or potentially you bill it as, you know, therapeutic activities um, because you're discussing those strategies, things like that. Um, but yeah, that I'd love to see a lot more of that in the future of PT, as well as just using technology, like finding ways to connect with people through technology. Um, and yeah, just advancing our reach. There's so many people that don't have access to PT. And if we can offer virtual services or again, things outside of like what we consider the typical scope of the PT, um, you know, I mean, when I say that, like outside of the typical, like go into the clinic, see a PT then I think we're going to have a much greater impact and people are going to realize how much value we provide to society. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned how, you know, we can help patients with pain, finding different strategies to deal with their pain. And, you know, that's an amazing part of physical therapy. You know, they can get back to their daily activities. But the other awesome thing that you've mentioned is we get to empower the person and that's something it's hard to measure, but you know, it when you see it, or you know, it when you feel it and throughout their day, you know, they may feel more confident in the activities they do. They can have more positive interactions with people around them because, you know, they may not be worrying about the pain or we allow them to put their own health and their control in their hands. And I think that's something that can be pretty powerful for people and patients to experience. Definitely, definitely. And I think you bring up a good point too, that like, it can be hard to measure confidence or empowerment in a patient, but a lot of those things, like you mentioned, you know, they're more confident. So they move with greater ease. Maybe they have better function. Maybe they have less pain because they're more confident and empowered. Those are things we can measure. So, um, 
you know, sometimes you do have to get a little bit creative on your, like how you show your progress and to prove, Hey, this patient is improving. Um, but a lot of those things like confidence, empowerment, education translate into better function and the patient, um, feeling better when they move too. Another thing I kind of want to draw attention to, um, kind of what you said, like moving away from the modalities and moving away from like the hands-on work, you know, which is something I'm sure a lot of PTs like pride themselves in or like what a lot of people think of PT being, you know, I mean, obviously you lose a lot of that when you go into a virtual platform, but you know, at the very end, you kind of said like, that makes us, you know, that's going to draw like more importance to the PT world. And I totally agree. You know, you take away like one thing we're prided on and yet we're turning it into something that is more favored in literature and, Ideally, just a better overall product for everybody involved, just uh, for lack of a better term, I guess, like more um, more about the human side of things. And I think that will draw a lot of attention to the PT world as far as what we're capable of. And in the years to come, like definitely like just add to our stock. Plain mm-hmm. and simple. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And Lindsay, I'm also curious, I know you've been a personal trainer for a long time and I know you're very passionate about health and wellness and, you know, a responsibility as a physical therapist is to educate our patients on health and wellness. But I know sometimes it's hard to do that. You know, lots of times they don't come in there to be educated on their health and wellness, but I guess what I'm trying to ask is how do you go about that educating on health and wellness? Maybe there's times you say this isn't the right time. Maybe there's times like, Hey, this is a good opportunity. I'm curious on your thoughts. Right. I think, um, I'm kind of in a unique situation because I am in a cash-based practice. Um, I spend a full hour with my patients. Um, of course you can get that outside of a cash-based practice too. Um, but I do get to spend a lot of time with my patient. And so usually from that first initial eval, I'm asking about water intake, um, their nutrition, their stress, their sleep. Like I'm asking about all of those things at the beginning because they do have a really big impact on just how the central nervous system functions. And that can really impact the pelvic floor and the progress that we make there. Um, So I ask them about all of those things. And I usually then follow up with, I'm asking all of this because, and then I explain how it um, can connect to the pelvic floor and how it impacts the pelvic floor. So for instance, um, if a patient like is telling me, you know, I don't eat or do intermittent fasting. Like I've had a lot of patients that tell me they do intermittent fasting um, and, you know, it works really well for them and all this kind of stuff. And then they follow up and tell me that they have chronic constipation um, and all this kind of thing. So if they're telling me they're doing intermittent fasting and then suffering from constipation, that might be a good opportunity to say, hey, that might not be the best uh, strategy for you because when we wait these long periods of time, it can actually cause further constipation, which then tightens up your pelvic floor even more and then makes your, you know, your tailbone pain worse. Mm. And so kind of educating on that um, is huge. Or if there's patients who 
Like for instance, they're going to the bathroom every 20 minutes um, and they're eating a bunch of spicy food. That is like a big, that can be a really big bladder irritant. And so kind of educating them on the beginning, Hey, like potentially these spicy foods or, um, you know, dairy products or like I give them a list. I'm like, these are all potential things that could impact your bladder and your pelvic floor. So you kind of have to talk about those things from the get go, um, just cause they're so integrated with the way that the body works. Um, yeah, you kind of have to. So I start bringing it up on the initial visit. And then if they mention something to me, that's kind of like, Oh, maybe I should like follow up on that. I'll continue. If they tell me they're like working with a dietitian or a nutritionist, which a lot of my patients are, then I kind of like, you know, trust that that's going okay. Unless um, something else comes up. But yeah, I usually bring it up from the beginning and then spend as much time as I need to educate them, um, obviously within my scope of practice, but educating them on those things because they do play such a big role in, in recovery. And I'll tell people like, Hey, if we don't get your stress under control, it's going to be a lot harder to manage your pain. Those two things work together. So what, what can we do, um, for you to have less stress throughout your day? Hmm. Things like that. Well, that's amazing. I hope to be able to have a similar evaluation like that someday. Yeah, Yeah, definitely honing in on that uh, multifactorial approach is key for sure. As we've learned like this past six months and as you're preaching. Mm -hmm. Um, All right. uh, There was one more thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, Just something I noticed in your bio, you were big on uh, women empowerment. Um, So, you know, empowerment for everybody does look differently from everything I've seen and heard. Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I guess for me, like women empowerment is very much like women feeling confident in what they want to do, um, when it kind of, when it comes to all aspects of their life. So I want, I want women to feel like they are capable in the gym, that they can do whatever job they want to do. Um, you know, if they want to go out or stay home or have kids or not have kids that they feel empowered in those decisions. Um, And empowerment, I feel like really spans from that education, like knowing about your body, knowing about yourself. Um, So everything that I can do to kind of help you get to that point of feeling like you are empowered, you are educated um, to to live your life the way you want to live it, um, that is what I'm really about. So I feel like I kind of approach it more of like the physical aspect or uh, I mean, occasionally the mental aspect too. Like I want women to feel confident in the gym. I want women to feel empowered that they can lift heavy weights. Um, that was really why I started my Instagram page in the first place was I wanted women to just know that they could like lift weights and feel confident in the gym. Um, and not just stick to the cardio machines because they didn't know anything else. And so that was really where it started for me. And now it's really developed into, okay, I want women to like know about their bodies. I want them to know like what's normal, what's not normal. Um, and just feel confident that again, if they want to go out and like run a marathon or do double unders or, um, you know, have intercourse with their partner sporadically, that they are not limited by their bodies. Um, so that's really, really what it's about for me. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a definitely a beautiful way of doing it. Um, I love how you mentioned like the physical and mental aspects, because I feel like that's a lot of where those, um, fears, I guess would be based out of. Um, so it's great that you preach on that. Yeah. And Lindsay, we have one final question that we ask all our guests. And that question is, what is your definition of a great physical therapist? 
that is a really uh, good question. I wish I would have thought about this ahead of time. Um, <laughs> so I would say a great physical therapist is someone who um, really does educate and empower their patients. Um, they leave the world a better place than when, you know, they first started. Um, a great physical therapist, I don't think is defined by like their physical skill set, you know, like how good they are at prescribing exercise, but I think they're really defined by how they can communicate and interact with their patients. Um, you may not be, like I said, the best manual physical therapist. You may not be the best at prescribing exercises, but if you can get across to your patient, what they need to do and empower them to make those changes in their lives, you're going to make a huge, huge impact in society. Um, so again, how do we train PTs to be like that? I don't really have the answer. School definitely doesn't do it. Um, they're going to they're going to train you on more of like the technical skills um, because that's where everyone has to start. But from there, how can we create these great physical therapists? Um, I think it all starts with the way that we communicate with our patients. And again, how can you educate and empower your patients to make these changes in their daily lives? That's what's going to make you a great physical therapist. I one thousand percent agree. And you know, it definitely is something that sounds like it's more self built. Something that's not, you know learn through a textbook, but just learn by experience and learn by being a good person. And you definitely emulate that a lot. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. I try, but I feel like my boss does a really good job of emulating it too. And I'm like, dang, I just want to be like her, you know, <laughs> You're like how That's can great. I be better? <laughs> <laughs> and Lindsay, we just want to acknowledge you for being such a great physical therapist and empowering your patients and being an advocate for all those who may not have access to physical therapy. And, um, we also just want to ask where can people find you or if they want to do a virtual consult, what's a good route to do that? Absolutely. So the best place to kind of get a hold of me would be on my Instagram page at Lindsay Durand Fitness. So Lindsay spelled L I N D S A Y. Um, Duran D U R A N D fitness. That would be the best place to get a hold of me. If you go into my link tree there, you'll see the form for virtual consults. Um, and so that is what you would fill out if you are interested in doing one. Um, I kind of want to make sure you're a good fit before I just let you sign up. So I have people go through a form first. Um, like I said, just to be sure that they're a good fit. Um, but yeah, Lindsay Duran fitness is kind of the best way to find me. I am on Twitter too at Lindsay Masumi. And I'm on Facebook as well. Um, but I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. So reach out to me there. You're definitely going to get um, a better response or at least a quicker response from me if you reach out to me there. All right, everyone. Go follow Lindsay Duran Fitness on right now. Instagram. Right, right now. now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know about you guys, but I learned a ton on that podcast today. That was so awesome to have Lindsay on. She was so vibrant and fun also want to ask of you guys if you've been enjoying the show to please give us a review on apple or spotify five stars i'll give you a high five if you do that <laughs> it helps get more people to listen to the show and learn more about physical therapy anyway love you guys have a great one